Good morning, real life family and friends. This is Pastor Tim with you again as we continue our series on the letter to Ephesians. And today we're going to look at chapter 3. And in chapter 1, we are uh, just learning about who we are in Christ, how we are uh, brand new in Him, born again. And this phrase, in Christ, is what Paul is really emphasizing and helping us to rethink who we really are now in God, not who we were in our sin but what God has done for us and how he is re-transforming our lives and renewing us and making us more like him. And then last week in chapter two, we we're talking about how God has raised us up with Christ and we're seated with him in the heavenly realms. And we are, we are restored into our place of dominion uh, on the earth. And we are his ambassadors and we are here to uh, share his love, his, his freedom, his truth. And so our, our purpose is bigger than just ourselves, that God has invited us into his family. That family is called the church, and the church has a great purpose and a great mission. And today in chapter 3, Paul talks about a mystery that, has, that was been, has been concealed for centuries that God, through Christ, has now made known to us. And we're going to talk about that mystery, and we're also going to dive into the love of God. So let's pray. God, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts and your word would come alive to us and that you would continue to shape us and mold us back into who you made us to be. And Lord, let your word bring freedom to us today, encouragement, insight, inspiration in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's start with chapter three. I'm going to read a couple of verses and then uh, kind of dive into it. So it starts out by saying, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, uh, to God's holy apostles and prophets. This, and here's, here's the mystery, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to talk about that a little bit more, but I just want to share with you that for roughly 2,000 years before Jesus arrived, this mystery had been concealed. And, up, and throughout the time of the Bible from Abraham all the way up to the time that Jesus came, the Jews or the Israelites believed that God was exclusive to them. That this God who made them and this God who made the co this covenant with them, this God who rescued them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and was leading them and guiding them and blessing them, this God was their God. And he didn't, he didn't uh, blunt anybody else, even though their God was the greatest God. Um, they thought they had exclusive rights to this God, right? And uh, throughout the Bible, we see that there are signs and clues that that is absolutely uh, not the case. But this mystery wasn't revealed until Jesus came, died a, uh, a sacrificial death to cover the sins of all mankind. And so all of these blessings that the Israelites were living under, called the covenant, have now been extended to all of us, Gentiles and Jews 
alike. In Genesis chapter 12, when God first called Abram, uh, verses 1 through 3, God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then he says this, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this is the beginning of God's calling of Abram, who had Isaac, who had Jacob, who had the 12 sons, who became the tribe of Israel, and so on and so on. And so it started from the very beginning. God called Abram and he said, through you and through your seed, basically, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed. But for some reason, the Israelites didn't quite catch this for a couple thousand years until Jesus, uh, the revelation of Jesus' salvation for all of us came to light. In fact, the prophet Isaiah even said this very clearly. In uh, chapter 42, verse 6, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. And he's talking about um, Jesus. He's talking about sending Jesus, his son, as the Messiah. So he's really talking about Messiah here. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Now, this is poetry, and it's saying the same thing twice with different words. He's saying, Jesus, the Messiah, I will make you a covenant for the people. And then he says the same thing in a different way, a light for the Gentiles, which means the Messiah was not going to be just for the Jews, but for all the people, right? And, and he goes on to say, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Sounds a lot like what Jesus said he came to do, doesn't it? In Isaiah chapter 61, when Jesus quoted that passage of scripture in his first message in his hometown of Nazareth. And so we see that Jesus came for all of us. Now, Paul was really known to be the apostle to the Gentiles. God gave Paul this revelation. He also gave this revelation to the apostle Peter. But Peter was really called to the Jews, but Paul was called to the Gentiles. And Paul did all these missionary trips and he went all over the place and he, he would start in the synagogue with the Jews. He normally would get rejected, the message would get rejected, and then he would then go and turn that message towards all the Gentiles in that area. And so Paul created a lot of controversy, but it was his calling. Remember when God called Paul or Saul on the road to Damascus? You know, that was God's calling upon his life, that God had called Paul to take this good news to the Gentiles, which is me, and it's probably you. It's most of us in this world are Gentiles. There's only a very few people who are Jews, but this message, this good news of Jesus is now for all of us. The mystery has been revealed, and Paul says, God had call, has called me to take this good news to the world, to the Gentiles. And so that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about the mystery. So the mystery is revealed, and that mystery is that salvation is through Jesus Christ to all who will place their faith in him, not just to Jews, but to every single one who will receive the mercy and the grace of God through what Jesus has done for us. And so regardless of Jews and Gentiles, there are no male or female, slave or free, poor or rich. Every skin color, every tribe, every nation, every language is represented in this invitation to receive 
the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And in the body of Christ, there is no racism. There's no favoritism. There's no hierarchy. There's no feminism. There's no chauvinism, right? None of those things have any place in the body of Christ because we are all one under Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We are all in the same family, right? We are all called to walk in unity because we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We have one Savior, one King, and we are all brought under one family. And the head of this family is Jesus. So praise be to God for this amazing gift. You and I have now been grafted into all of the promises of God. We are not outsiders looking in. We, we are welcomed into the family of God and all of the promises God has for us. Amen? Oh, man, so exciting. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, God's intent was that now through the church, through you and through me, God's people saved by grace, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what God is doing is he's bragging through you and through me, through the church, of the changes and the transformation that God is doing in all of our lives. And God is declaring that salvation has now been made available to all who will call on his name. Wow, how awesome. Now, we are supposed to walk in unity because of that, because of the love of God and the grace of God, the mercy of God toward all of us. We are all equally needing a Savior, and we are all equally invited to partake of, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, through faith. Therefore, we are to be walking in unity. We aren't to be dividing one another or putting others down or elevating people, but we are all in this together. And so Christ um, proclaims that we are to be walking in unity and living in unity. So in our church, in our, in our congregations, in our relationships with one another, God wants us to be in unity, to strive for unity. And we're going to talk about that probably a little bit more next week in chapter 4, but I just want to say that the only way that that is possible for us to walk in unity is the love of God. And that's what I want to talk with you about today, the love of God. This week, uh, we experienced a holiday here in our, in our nation called Valentine's Day, right? And Valentine's Day is all about love. So let's talk about love today. And, and uh, it might be a little different than kind of what the, uh, you know, the, the, the world around us thinks about love. And, and, and so let's talk about God's love, because God's love is what changes everything. And I want to start by reading a prayer that Paul prays for us in chapter 3 here about the love of God. And I'm going to read it for you here. It starts in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power, through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's where it all begins, that each and every one of us will come to a place of recognizing our need for Jesus as Lord and Savior by placing our faith in Him and accessing a brand new life. May that happen for you if it hasn't happened yet. May you make that decision and that choice. And may faith arise in you. And may you find your new identity in Christ by calling out to Him. 
And he goes on to pray and he says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's an interesting statement. We'll talk about that in a second. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, <laughs> that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow, that's what we want, to be filled with all the fullness of God. How do we get that? Through the love of God, through the revelation and the experience of the love of God. That's how we are filled with the fullness of God's measure. And Paul ends this chapter and he ends this prayer with this blessing. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him, to Jesus, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. For all generations. And I was thinking about that a little bit earlier today. You know, when, when this was written around 60 AD, it was almost 2,000 years ago. Maybe 2,000, you know, 36 years ago. Okay, approximately. And I was thinking that's about, if you consider a generation 40 years, we are about 49 generations removed from this prayer, from generations to generations. How just, just in awe that 49 different generations, uh, I don't even know past the fourth generation of my family. I don't even know. I mean, I have experience of my, my father, my mother, of course, and then my grandparents. And I just remember vaguely some of my great-grandparents. I had some brief time with them when I was young. But I, I don't even know my fourth generation. I've never met anyone in, my, in the fourth generation before me, but 49 generations. And I just think the faith that we have in Jesus has been passed down for 49, almost 50 generations now of lives lived and passing on these stories and passing on this faith and passing on the experience of God's love and his presence. Wow, that's just amazing to think. And God's love is, isn't waned at all. It's not weak. It's not old. It's not dull. It is as hot and full and filled with passion and fire for you today as it's been the moment that Jesus was on that cross dying for you and for me. Isn't that awesome? The love of God. So let's talk about the love of God. Up here is a word in Hebrew for love. And I would pronounce, we pronounce this ahava. Ahava. Four letters. And in the middle, this word right here, have, actually is a word embedded into the word of love. And it means to give. And so these two words here, um, to give, are in the middle of this word love. And I, I, I think this is very profound and very key to the understanding of the concept of love. God defines love not as a feeling, not as an emotion, um, and not as something that you receive necessarily, but it is something that is given. And so love is an action, and that action is giving. And we see this very clearly in the scriptures. What did God give? John 3, 16. For God so loved, here's love, 
He so loved the world that he what? He gave. What did he give? He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So God loved the world, which means he gave. He gave his very best. He gave his son. And then what did Jesus give? Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love. So love is seen. We see it demonstrated before us in this. While we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ gave his life for you and for me. So what did Jesus do? The Lord or God gave his son. Jesus gave his life. So we see this is the love of God to give. And this is the love of God through Jesus. He gave. He gave his life. And so what are we to do? How, how do we love? Well, 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. What is love? This is how we know. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's love. That's the definition of love. Jesus giving his life for us. Then he says, John says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So God loves by giving his son. Jesus loves by giving his life. And then Jesus tells us, now I want you to love by giving your life to those around you. That's what love is, right? John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you love, must love one another. How has Jesus loved us? He gave himself for us. How do we love one another? We give ourselves to one another. Now, another way to look at this in the Hebrew is these letters also have great meaning and significance in and of themselves. We don't really have this in the English language. You know, nobody goes around saying, oh, my favorite letter is, you know, T or something like that. I mean, we don't, we don't have significant meaning to the letters. But in the ancient language of Hebrew, each letter came from a picture. And that picture had uh, a great meaning. And Aleph is this first one. Now, I point over here because in Hebrew, the letters are written from right to left. So this is actually the beginning of the word. And that's why we pronounce it this way, Ahava. And this first letter, Aleph, represents, it's the first letter in the Aleph Bet. And it represents, because it's first, it represents God or God the Father or Almighty or first. But this is God the Father. And then we have, as I mentioned before, this middle word, which means gives, right? Or to give. So God gives. And then this is the fifth letter in the Hebrew language. And it represents one of the meanings of it is grace. And I just love this, this simple phrase, God gives grace. That's what love is. It's an action of giving. And what is being given is grace. Now we see God embody this very quality himself. The Bible says God is love. So he's actually giving himself, right? God gives grace. God is giving what? Himself. And we see this in Jesus when, when John writes, hey, um, the word of God became flesh. Remember this? And he dwelled among us and we saw his glory and he was filled with grace and truth. And so we see that Jesus is the epitome or the climax of God's grace. Jesus is grace. God gave himself, God gives grace, God gave himself 
for you and for me. Isn't that beautiful? And so that's love. Love is not a feeling or emotion, but the action of giving. Now, our fallen nature, our sinful nature, has perverted the concept of love, for sure. Um, for instance, a lot of us um, see love as something that we, we feel or we want or someone loves us. So they, we want to feel something. We want to feel safe. We want to feel warm fuzzies. We, wanna, you know, we want to be loved by someone. But we're also prone to something I'm going to call self-love, which isn't even, by definition, doesn't even make sense. But that's what we would call it, self-love. Like, we love ourselves. We, we always want to put ourselves first. Now, I'm talking about our sinful nature. I'm not talking about uh, you and I in Christ and the transformation God's doing in our lives. But if, if Christ wasn't in our hearts right now, and even though he is, there's still a lot of this present in our lives. Self-love, putting ourselves first, wanting everybody else to do things for ourselves. Give me this, give me that. I don't like that. Don't do it that way. I want it this way. And that's all self-love. It's self-promoting. And I just want to make a point here. That's actually the opposite of love. Love is giving yourself away. Um, and self-love is the opposite of love. Now, it's not like God doesn't want you to love yourself in a sense of um, he doesn't want you to be depressed. He doesn't want you to hate yourself. He doesn't want you to be um, you know, negative or feeling uh, lousy. He doesn't want that. He wants you to have respect and all that. But your identity, your identity is in Christ. Your identity is not in self. And so many people are walking around with their identity in self. So they need to promote themselves because that's the only thing that makes sense to them. I need to be successful. I need to uh, have people respect me. I need to have um, these things because that makes myself feel right. Therefore, that's who I am and that's how I, I find satisfaction. But that's a sinful fallen mindset and that's a sinful fallen identity because Jesus puts it this way. Now that we're in Christ, he says this, if you um, it says, anyone who loves their life, John 12, 25, anyone who loves their life or is self-love, right, will lose it. While anyone who hates their life, now again, this is not, you're hating yourself. It's not what this is about. But the concept, it's a poetic, you know, contrast. Anyone who hates their own life in this world will keep it for eternity, so what Jesus is saying is, you need to understand what real love looks like. Real love looks like you not keeping your life, but you giving your life. That you are serving others and you're serving God. Now, that's actually not what I want to talk about, though. I, there is a place for all of this, and we might even talk about that next week a little bit more. And we do talk about this a lot in our uh, church about love, the importance of love, and it is hugely important. In fact, Jesus clarified the importance of love when he was asked this question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment um, of all? And he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength, right? And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus summarized and said, listen, these two commands on those two commands, everything else depends. 
all the other commands hang on these two. If you will just love God and you will love your neighbor, if you're truly doing one of those two things at any given moment, you are obeying all the law. That's how important love is. But what's even more important than what we do and how we love is that we first receive the love of God. And that's what I want to talk about. I'm not here to just kind of pump you up and, or, or really challenge you to just love people, although there's nothing wrong with that. That's what I, I do that all the time. Today, though, I want to make sure that you understand how much God loves you. So Paul is praying. Oh, man, I'm praying that God would help you see how um, wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of God for you and for me. And I just pray that, so I talk about this for a few more minutes, that you begin to experience and sense the true love of God. Paul says, I'm praying that you know this love that surpasses knowledge. What in the world is he talking about? It doesn't make any sense to know something that's not knowable. <laughs> and so here's, here's the understanding I have of this, is that this knowledge that God wants you to experience of his love is not something that's knowable in your head, but it is experienced in your soul. That's what Paul's saying. I'm praying that you know or you have this intimate experience of the love of God that is greater than just knowing in your brain the words God loves me. And I'm praying even right now that the Holy Spirit will just envelop you and begin to pour love into you and into your soul. And these words will come alive right now in your heart that God loves you just like you are even in spite of all of your mistakes, all your flaws, all of your ups and downs, all of your broken promises, whatever, God loves you right now. He loves you and you can't earn his love. He loves you right now and you can't even do anything to keep his love. He will always love you. He loves you and you can trust him. His love will never fail towards you. And that's the message today I want to share with you out of Ephesians chapter 3. So I want to kind of play around with this for a second. You know, how has God loved us? What has God given to us? If God loves us, what has God given to us? Well, we know God has given us Jesus. But I just want to play around with this a little bit longer before we're done. What is God's love like toward us? So let's just ask this question. Well, how wide is God's love? How wide is God's love? And I just want to declare to you, that God's love is all-encompassing. That everyone is included in God's love. That's how wide God's love is. Everyone's included. That means you. That means you are loved by God. There's no one excluded from God's love. Everyone's loved by God. And God's love is fully towards each and every person. Psalm 86.5 says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good abounding in love to all who call to you. God is no respecter of persons. He loves each and every one of us. He loves you. God's love is all-encompassing. Is there anyone who's outside of the reach of God's love? The answer is no. No. And neither are you. Neither am I. God's love is pursuing each and every one of us. So how long is God's love? When I think of long, I think of maybe a sense of time, right? So my whole lifetime, God's love 
uh, is never ending. There's no moment in my entire lifetime or your lifetime in which God's love has stopped flowing towards you. God's love is longer than my lifetime. That's how long it is. There isn't a single moment where God isn't loving you and loving me. Lamentations 3 uh, verses 22 and 23 says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions or His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's love, His kindness, His compassion, His mercy toward you and toward me is new every morning. That's how long God's love is. Psalm 103.17 says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him. Psalm 117.2, For great is His love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. That's a long time. Forever. <laughs> so how wide? Uh, God's love is all-encompassing. How long? God's love is always enduring. Right? It's forever. Um, and then how high is God's love? Well, I think of high in terms of like voltage, <laughs> or we could think of it as height, but I also like to think of, you know, a power, how high, how powerful, um, you know, how, how much voltage does God's love have for us? And I want to say that God's love is never fading. It's never fading towards you. God's love never wavers, even in your worst moments, even in your doubts, even in your running from God. His love doesn't waver. His love is not dependent on your ability to please Him or your actions or your decisions. His love isn't. His love will always be full power towards you and towards me. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 36, 5, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. There's no limit to your love. There's no height that can be measured to God's love. And Psalm 103, 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. That means this distance that we can't measure is also relatable to the strength of God's love towards you and towards me. It's immeasurable. God's power of love towards you is without measure. And finally, how deep is God's love? The deep, the depth of God's love. God's love penetrates the deepest part of who I am and who you are. His love goes to the very core of our heart and our soul. God's love searches the deepest parts of our being to restore us, to heal us, to touch us. God's love goes to the very deepest part of who we are. Psalm 51, um, the psalmist is crying out to God. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to your love, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And in verse 6 of this chapter, he says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you, make known, you will make me to know wisdom. So God comes all the way into the deepest parts of who we are, and he brings love there. You know, a lot of times our earthly love is surfacy. You know, I, uh, we're attracted to each other on the outside because of a personality or, a, or the looks or some physical nature. Um, but God's love goes way deeper than the surface, 
way deeper than anyone earning or deserving of someone else's love or affection. But even in our pain, in our insecurities, in our private area of our heart, God loves us. He knows us and he loves us. He's not uh, put off by our, our hurts or our darkness or our pride. He loves us enough to come into the deepest parts of who we are and bring light there, bring healing there. It's just so beautiful. So just to summarize this, God's love is all-encompassing. God's love is never-ending. God's love is never-fading. And God's love penetrates the very deepest part of who we are. And so what has God done for us? What has God given to us? Well, as I mentioned at the outset, God gave us himself. And through himself, he gave us the forgiveness of sins. He has adopted us into his family. He has redeemed our lives from death. He has deposited his spirit within us. And he has promised us eternal life. That's how much God loves you. There's nothing that you will ever do that will change the intensity or the faithfulness of God's love towards you. The greatest change that ever happened in my life was when I went from knowing God's love and knowing God loved me in my head to experiencing God's loving me in my soul. That changed my life. It took me, I think I was about 36 years old when I had this huge breakthrough from my head to my heart. And it just changed me from the very core of who I am. For many years, I knew that God loved me, but I didn't know it. I hadn't experienced it. I hadn't taken the time to really understand that God, no matter what I've done, uh, and I could never earn it, I could never deserve it, but God just loves me, just loves me. And it changed my life. And that, out of that reservoir of the love of God for us, that's the beginning and that's the starting point of us being able to love other people. In John, 1 John, he says, we love because he, God, first loved us. And so without the love of God, the revelation of the love of God, experiential knowledge, relational knowledge, in, intimate knowledge of God's love for us, we can't start loving anybody else. It's got to start with us receiving the love of God. And so today I just pray uh, that you'd open your heart, as the Bible says, that you would call on the name of Jesus and receive the love that God has given to you as he has given his son Jesus to save you from your sins, to restore you into relationship with himself, and to adopt you into his family. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We're the children of God. Come into the family of God today. Pray this prayer with me if that's your heart. Say, Jesus, today, I thank you that you love me. You have shown your love for me by laying your life down to pay for my sin, to rescue me from death, and to adopt me into your family. Today, I receive your love. I pray that you fill me with your spirit and pour your love into my heart, healing me from my hurts, my insecurities, and setting me free from my old sinful nature of greed and pride and lust, and letting me have a new identity in you 
starting right now. I'm all yours. In your name I pray and in you, Jesus, I trust. Amen. Amen. Wow. Well, if that's your decision today, if you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Bible says all of heaven is rejoicing with you right now because you have come back to God. You have joined His family. And now God is going to lead you and guide you into a whole new life. So keep joining us in the series as we continue to explore who we are in Christ, uh, how we have been raised up with Him, and now together walking in unity in the love of God, what the purpose of the church is together. And so I want to pray a blessing on you as I do every week and hope to see you again next week. So now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace in His name. Amen. Hey, God loves you. I love you. Be blessed in Jesus' name.